Hello, welcome back to the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. I'm your host as always, Mike Murray. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce to everybody, my friend over the last couple of months, so we've developed a great working relationship together, Atiba Wade. And Atiba is gonna to talk to us today about the evolution of dry land and swimming over the past 10 to 20 years. He's gonna talk about his experience working with athletes from all different facets of life. And we're gonna talk a little bit about Atiba's story too, because he has one of the most unique and interesting stories in the sport of swimming. And I wanna introduce uh, you today, Atiba, and have you talk a little bit about your background. And I learned something interesting about you today. I learned that your father was instrumental in getting cable in the city of Philadelphia in certain areas. Yes, that is true. Wade Cable Vision from back in the day. So that's where <laughs> all your video and your cutting skills and all of that stuff, that's kind of in the blood. <laughs> yeah, uh, the video stuff, but the artistic side comes from my mom. Uh, she was an artist and a dancer as well, like, you know, very uh, humanitarian. They're both social workers, very much into the community. <laughs> so in addition to being a dryland coach and having a lot of other things that you've been involved in, you've worked with uh, the military and, and you've provided fitness programs for uh, men and women in service. The other thing that you've done a little bit on the side is you, you were an actor for a, a pretty famous movie. Why don't you tell us all about uh, that movie and your role in it and your role in the true story as well? Well, the movie that I'm assuming you're talking about is Pride. Uh, it's about, um, it's based off of, you know, when they say inspired by true events, it's inspired by uh, the PDR swim team and with under coach Jim Ellis. I was a swim double in that movie. I wasn't necessarily an actor per se, but um, I would say that whenever you see the main character swimming correctly, that's me. <laughs> and um, even like a little bit before that, or a little bit after that, I, I did do some other movie type stuff. Um, like for example, I don't know if you've seen the movie Shot Callers. I did a little cameo in that. Uh, and I was, uh, I played a prison guard. You'll see me for like four or five seconds. I get knocked down by the main character <laughs> and that's it. But yeah, Pride was the movie that, that, I'm, that I'm sure you're talking about. And it was a fantastic experience and such a honor to not only be a part of that legacy, but to actually be able to contribute as an actual member of the movie. So that's something that is fantastic. Yeah, you came up through that program with the likes of the Vreelands and all the great athletes who came through PDR. What was that experience like for you when you guys were breaking such new ground in our sport and, and really bringing the sport to communities that, that didn't necessarily have the uh, scope to include swimming as an option? What was it like uh, watching that and watching Jim go through the process? Well, you knew that you were part of something special, first of all, because the um, Jim just had a vision and also an expectation of excellence. So being involved with that in comparison to the other aspects of life that you may be in, uh, you knew that you're dealing with a quality environment and the friendships that you develop there, uh, the camaraderie that gets developed there, uh, just, just that alone, you know, you know you're part of something special. Um, outside of that concept, when you know that uh, as being like a predominantly African-American swim team, you know that you're kind of trailblazers in that sense. So being a part of that makes you, gives you a sense of dedication. It gives you a sense of motivation, but also it gives you a sense of obligation. And those three things really were the driving force as I got older, as you become more conscious of what it is that you're doing. Uh, those three things were the driving force uh, that continue to keep me going. Yeah, what a fantastic story. And it's so neat that you played a role in that and, and then got to celebrate it, right, with, with your small role in pride. I mean, that, that is so cool. Yeah. And you take your experience from PDR, Atiba, <clears throat> and you translate it into swimming for Jack Bowerly at the University of Georgia, where you were an NCAA finalist. Uh, what was it like going through Georgia back in those days as Jack was really building what would eventually become a powerhouse? Well, that was definitely a fun experience. Uh, Jack is another Philadelphia guy. So uh, we kind of, you know, saw eye to eye in that way. 
and being a part of that as well. I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. Jack built a powerhouse at University of Georgia and um, being an All-American there. Also with another fellow uh, Bulldog, Michael Norman, who was <laughs> who I basically followed to the University of Georgia from PDR. Um, it was a great experience and just being a part of that whole the whole college experience, the whole college dynamic and being able to, and I knew that we were contributing something unique to the process, uh, not just as a swimmer, but also as a person and interacting with the other athletes who are still my great friends to, uh, to this day. So I know that they had an effect on me. I had an effect on them. We all had an effect on the program to help push it forward. One of the things that I love about you is, and we talk probably two or three times a week, you're, you're so passionate about what you do. And I want to introduce some of the things that you're doing. But first, I want you to talk a little bit about the, the evolution of dry land in this country from the time where you were an age grouper into the practices that, that you use now. How have things changed? And what are you doing to innovate dry land as a whole? Well, I'll start off with where I started. Um, I started off in something in a place that we called the community room at Marcus Foster Swim Pool. And the community room was a concrete room, four, you know, four walls, concrete floor. We were just doing push-ups, sit-ups, squat jumps, every body weight exercise um, imaginable. That's what we did in the community room. Because um, my dad always said, when resources are minimal, skills need to be optimal. So uh, we had minimal resources, but you know, you're dealing with Coach Jim Ellis and his skill <laughs> level is optimal. So we took everything that we had and we made the best of it and it made us better swimmers for it because body weight exercises really are super important for uh, age group swimmers. Um, we want to now, just to jump forward a little bit and I'll come back, but now we're talking about you know, Olympic lifts, uh, weightlifting, all this type of stuff, which is fantastic. I find that like, you know, Olympic weightlifting, Olympic weight training in that sense, like all the Olympic lifts, it's a plus. It's not a must, in my opinion. It's just my opinion. Uh, the reason why I say that is because you have to be able to learn how to move your own body before you, have, before you learn how to move a bar. And I think that people in the fitness community how we try to introduce it into our everyday lives, we really don't understand how intricate Olympic lifting is. You have, it's as, it's as technical as swimming. So it's a high level skill. And it's, it's similar to running in, in the sense where you have to be fit in order to do that type of exercise rather than thinking that that exercise is going to make you fit. So uh, when we're like, when people like, when they wanna get in shape, Let's go out for a run. No, no, my man, you have to be fit in order to run rather than thinking that running is gonna make you fit. And it's the same thing with Olympic weightlifting. You have to be fit and coordinated in order to lift that weight in order, and it's not, doesn't work the other way around. So with that in mind, with that in mind, um, going back a little bit, I include a lot of strength and yoga, and movement and infuse it into stroke mechanics because that's where in my opinion that's where i feel as though swimmers can really experience maximum overlap for optimal effect where we were before and what i've experienced not just as a swimmer but also just observed other programs because i've had the good fortune to be able to uh coach virtually a, like, almost in every place in the country uh, it's not so much dry land as it is entertainment, <laughs> you know, entertaining and training <laughs> or dry land, you know, uh, you have to make it interesting. I, and I, and I get that coaches want to keep it interesting. You just can't stay in the pool all day long. It gets monotonous. Uh, but also you want to be able to get stronger outside of the pool. So you'll have some type of overlap when you, when you jump in the pool. So what do we do? Um, either the coach goes on their own and tries to develop their own system. And that usually turns out to be circuit training of some nature. And that shelf life, <laughs> it, gets, it gets old quick. You know, you start doing the same thing over and over again. And kids are like, okay. And you can't really keep 
your eye on what everyone's doing. So that's one thing. The second option is what do you do? You hire a strength coach or you hire a strength and conditioning trainer and they start talking to you about the front crawl <laughs> as opposed to freestyle. <laughs> you're like, oh man, we're in, for, we're in for like a wild ride today. You know, when they start talking about it and they start talking about swimming in those terms. So uh, being able to uh, engage the swimming community as an athlete, as a lifelong athlete, as a lifetime time swimmer, being able to engage the swimming community as a swim coach, being able to engage the swimming community as a fitness trainer, I've been able to, and I've had some fantastic uh, teachers in terms of strength and conditioning and movement, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, so I've taken all of that and infused it into a system that is safe, that is scalable, and that is sustainable for, for swimmers, because that's what we need. You need the safety aspect for one, because it, if it's not safe, it, it's not worth doing. The risk is not worth the reward. You know, uh, it has to be scalable because you have different levels of ability. You have different morphologies. You have uh, just what some people are have maybe, maybe have a strong upper body rather than pose their lower body. Some people have coordination issues. You have kids that grow up super fast and they'll, they're definitely going to have coordination issues. So that's why your exercises have to be safe, they have to be scalable, but also they have to be sustainable. And that's where you actually see your gains and being able to come back time and time again. Because as you know, in your program, you cannot improve unless you work hard. There is no way around it. If you wanna improve as a swimmer, you have to work hard. But with that, you wanna be able to work smart. And working smart, you have to make sure that your exercises are safe. You have to make sure your exercises are scalable. You have to make sure your exercises are sustainable. And that will give you those incremental gains over the period of time that will help you to reach your goals. A lot of times, because we live in this age where you can just download an app for everything and you get that instant gratification, swimming is not like that. It is a very honest sport. And I, and I say that in the sense that, uh, you know, a little, uh, there's no such thing there is no such thing as a lucky swim. <laughs> you know, you have uh, the half court shot, that buzzer beater at the end of a basketball game. Uh, football, you have the Hail Mary. It's literally a prayer that you're throwing up in the air. Uh, there is no such thing as a lucky swim. So in order to improve, you have to work harder, but your hard work has to be done intelligently. And the way you do that is through being safe, is through keeping your exercises scalable and keeping it sustainable. So, and, and those, are the, those are those incremental gains that it's virtually impossible to go wrong with um, when you're thinking about a dry land program. And that's what I've been developing over, over these years. I, I love the simplicity, right? The, the piece where you see so many coaches take a wrong turn, in my opinion, is that they have to get all these toys. They need to have all these toys. It's the only way they see that the kids are staying engaged. <laughs> I have been very fortunate to uh, have some access to what you've been doing. And it's been so different than what we've done in the past. And our kids really, really enjoy it. So how have you developed some of your exercises to keep the kids engaged while not necessarily always going to the med balls, the stretch cords, you know, the sliders? Talk to me a little bit about how you developed your exercises to keep your athletes engaged. Okay. Well, first of all, you have to be able to uh, speak swimming. Uh, if you want swimmers to do your exercises, I find that that's the way you keep them the most engaged. And as a swimming community, uh, to touch on what we talked about earlier, just the where we were, where we're going, where we are, um, we've imported a lot of things from the fitness community into our ecosystem, uh, which has basically morphed out of bodybuilding culture and we've imported it into swimming and not to knock any type of fitness in that sense but i'm talking about what's what works best for swimmers and muscle isolation for the sake of for the sake of hypertrophy isn't great for swimmers <laughs> you know it's great if you want to play football and bulk up or if you're like hey coach i need to put on some weight or whatever uh, i have to be able to hold this frame vertically with the force of gravity uh, holding me down, 
that's not how swimmers operate. We're horizontal. We work based <laughs> and we, we, we deal with drag force. <laughs> you know, so the, the workouts that you need to do are different. So I have that in mind when I'm working, when I'm, when I'm designing my programs or with the, with the program that I've designed. Um, and also getting back to how you need to speak swimming. You find that your swimmers are more engaged and also you learn better when uh, you can link concepts to things that you already know. Um, we'll get to this in a little bit. Uh, for example, with the dry fly that I've been uh, working on, uh, it's easy for swimmers and it's intuitive for them to understand because you can, as a coach, you can just walk a swimmer through that type of exercise uh, without any disconnect, without any uh, distance of understanding. You know, and that's another thing. For example, if you hire a strength coach that doesn't have a background in swimming or doesn't understand how swimming uh, functions at a high level, um, you're not able to, uh, you may not be present for one. So you're operating outside of your own, <laughs> in, a, in a vicinity sense, you're not there. So you don't know what's going on. Uh, operating, and that's one thing that's, that's detrimental. The other disconnect can come from not being able to understand what's going on. So the dryland program that's being provided to you is operating outside of your own realm of understanding. And that connects, that, that creates a potential disconnect between coach and swimmer, but also swimmer and performance, which in those, in those things are huge. So being able to create exercises that really bring all those concepts together in the ecosystem that already uh, exists in swimming it, we, it's still it's still evolving. I mean, look at swimmers like Adam Peaty. He's you. We have these swimmers that just make a leap, like just do like a huge quantum leap in in the sport. We are we're still evolving. So being able to have something that is simple, it is basic in a sense where you can digest it, and it's a it's already a part of our ecosystem, but we haven't explored it fully. And not only have we not explored it fully, we haven't uh, really. Um, taking advantage of all the resources that that exist in this ecosystem so to speak i really enjoy listening to you talk about it as an ecosystem because that's exactly what our sport is right it's very unique to the way that you would strength train for other sports and you make a good point when you talk about adam Petey. we look at athletes today in our sport and their bodies for lack of a better phrase are much more fit than what we've even seen in the 90s and the, in the late 80s. I mean, when you look at a guy like Caleb Dressel, Ryan Murphy, Adam Peaty, when you look at any of the women at the top level in our sport, everybody is fit and strong. So I think it's become this incredibly unique and interesting way to enhance the way that we travel through the water. And I just had a great coach's corner with Jaunty and he's mm -hmm. using the same terms that, that you're using. So I think what we should do now, Atiba, is let you share some of those exercises so that we can see it. You mentioned the dry fly. Maybe that's a good place to start. Sure. Okay, let's do it. Awesome. Let me, share my, let me just share my screen here with you. It's a good thing that uh, you're editing this because there's just that period of awkward silence. <laughs> we'll edit that right out, buddy. <clears throat> All right. All right, here we go. Uh, these are dry fly push-ups, and it's a combination of butterfly on land. That's why we call, I'm calling it dry fly. <laughs> so as you can see, we have the recovery portion and the propulsive phase of butterfly done on land. Uh, this also works on stroke timing and we're also engaging all the portions of the body that you would when you're in the water as well we have the delts the shoulders the biceps triceps you have to keep your core strong and stable but also we have uh, as you notice i'm using the pseudo planche push-up right there i'll go back and i'll go back and just review that we can just keep <laughs> I'm glad you're editing this once again that's perfect yeah so um I'm taking uh, the pseudo planche push-up, which is different than a regular push-up. Uh, with the pseudo planche push-up, you push your arms a little bit farther back, but because you're pushing your arms a little bit farther back, you have to engage your body uh, differently than you would doing a normal push-up. 
But as you can see, this, as you can see, uh, this movement mimics that 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 a pseudo planche pushup really mirrors the propulsive phase of butterfly, the end phase uh, when you're propelling yourself through the water before the recovery, and your body is lifted off the ground after the recovery and you have to get your head down before your arms come around so you can get that full extension and uh, catch in your stroke, uh, similar to similar to uh, you would in butterfly. I really like how this is engaging a lot of different muscle groups. Can you talk about what you're shooting for here on this exercise? What we're looking for is stroke, oh, keep going back, hold on. I guess we can just keep looping this as you're playing this. Um, what we're looking for is making sure that we are really working on stroke timing with butterfly and we are really engaging the shoulders. We are really engaging the biceps, triceps, chest, um, thinking about the uh, being able to really uh, focus on the propulsive phase of the stroke while still maintaining core strength and core stability because you have to stay on the water. That's another great thing that swimmers do. Great swimmers swim on the water, not in the water. And having a strong and stable core as you propel yourself through the water is, it's key <laughs> for um, optimal propulsion. I love it when you're really doing a great job keeping that head in line with the body and not lifting the chin to breathe so that it is much more similar to being in the water. Yes. So as a coach, uh, when you're speaking to your swimmers, what is, what is it that you would say or what is it that you see when you're, when you're looking at this? Yeah, what I love about it is that, again, the similarity to actually being in the water and, a, and an exercise where I'm not lifting my head. And if I did that in the water, my hips are going to sink right down to the bottom. So you're doing a great job taking a water movement and then putting together the principles of strength and conditioning into the stroke specific exercise. That's why I like it. Well, that's fantastic. Well, and that's the intent to be able to uh, use body weight, weight, yoga, uh, and infuse it into stroke mechanics for a better conditioned, a more mobile and a more athletic swimmer. Atiba, talk to us about some of these exercises that you have in that's my favorite one that our kids love doing since I stole that from you. Okay. You want, um, we can talk about that if you want. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, talk to the, you take it off the screen. Do you want to take it off screen saving? Uh, no, you can leave it up. Um, okay. Talk to our coaches about why athleticism is so important in this day and age for swimmers. Oh, good question. Yes. Athleticism is actually, I can, I'll take it off. So that way you can just, see what I'm talking about here. Well, we love to see you. Just... What's that? We love to see you. Oh. <laughs> All right. So uh, could you repeat that question? Sorry. Yeah. Talk to us of why uh, athleticism is such a critical component this day and age for our athletes, for our swimmers. Well, it's not just this day and age. It has always been important. However, uh, the reason why it's so important to keep this in mind today is because we are becoming more uh, sports specific and uh, we're becoming specialists at an early age. And that's not necessarily a good thing or it's, that's not necessarily the approach that I take with, uh, with swimmers. Because Sometimes when you become a specialist, you really become an onlyist. <laughs> Just to make up a word on the spot. Yeah, and I don't want these people, I don't want the people I work with to become onlyist. Um, there, like I said, there's a whole ecosystem uh, to, to pull from and, and, and also in which we live that we can thrive in. But the reason why athleticism is important is because we want, your, we, we want a holistic approach to swimming. We want a holistic approach to fitness. Um, I heard uh, Dave Salo say this a while back. He said, I don't want you just to be a great swimmer for four years. I want you to be <laughs> a great human for like the next 20 or <laughs> whatever. So that's what we're looking for. Uh, we want to take out that level of just specificity 
or and, and because you really shortchange yourself, not only in the short term, but also in the long term. Uh, we want to train for speed. We do not want to train for expedience. And uh, training for speed, you have to work on strength. Working on strength, you have to work with coordination. You have to be able to use the body that you have in an integrated way for uh, optimal effect. So having an overall, uh, the, the works that I do are athlete focused, but they are swimmer specific, but they are athletically focused. Everyone has to have a strong uh, and stable core. Everyone, especially swimmers, need to have great access to their shoulders and have a healthy scapula. Everyone, uh, everyone on your chain because nowadays we live like this. We live like this. We live like that. And we live sitting in a, in, in a car. We live sitting in chairs all day. We have heavy backpacks that you, you're taking to school doing this. So we, and also, uh, that we're reversing that and so we're sitting so we can sit up straight have the muscles to make sure that we have great posture so we don't get low back issues uh, we want to have strong and mobile shoulders so that when you when you have a, a challenging practice not sustainability comes in we want to make sure that you have uh, sustainable shoulders everyone's talking about bulletproof this or bulletproof that I, I like to more think about it in terms of sustainable shoulders <laughs> not bulletproof shoulders sustainable shoulders <laughs> because we want you to be able to enjoy the sport of swimming for the rest of your life. It is a lifetime sport and it should be a lifetime sport. And we find a lot of swimmers uh, not being able to enjoy the fruits of their labor later on in life. And that is sad. We don't want that to happen. So making sure that your exercises are safe, scalable and sustainable, you will be able to do this the rest of your natural life <laughs> that's that is the intention and uh, we want to be able to um by, by by having this sustainable approach intention is to help to evolve the sport of swimming and that's where a part of that as i said being the inspiration being uh the dedication and also the obligation i've had the privilege of having some great teachers and uh, there is a sense of obligation to give it my best and to keep contributing to hopefully, you know, be worthy enough to stand on the shoulders of uh, those that came before me. And that's the obligation part, portion uh, that will help evolve the sport beyond you, beyond me, beyond the next generation and keeps it going strong. That's a great answer. And, and it, it speaks directly to the question, safe, scalable, sustainable, and thinking of your journey in the sport that way also, you know, not just in your approach to the exercises themselves, but, but really thinking that way long-term. I, I really appreciate that. That's what it's about. I mean, it's not, we do define, there, there are certain moments that do define life or that are, that take us in a certain direction, but um, have the opportunity to always have access to your full being it's it's a it's a gift. I mean, I work with uh, wounded warriors, and we take for granted our bodies. We take for granted uh, the fact that we're stiff, and we know we're just we're just doing this. That I'll get through it. We should not be trapped in our bodies. Um, we need our bodies should be vehicles of you know freedom of expression, freedom of movement, because not everyone has the opportunity to do that. And that should not be something that we, uh, that, sh that should not be a concept that we attach to our age. I'm 43 and I'm doing things that I was not even able to do at 23. You know, if you want to put the, the, the age number to it. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. And um, I want to go back and look at my favorite Atiba Wade dry land exercise, which is the uh, open turn side plank. Oh, oh, the open turn side arch. Yes. Side arch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. <clears throat> this gets our kids yeah. every time. Yeah. I'm having fun here. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> well, I knew you would. All right. Let's uh, pull. All right. All right. So here we have open turn side arches. As you can see, it mimics an open turn. Uh, we're really working on core strength, core stability, but also being able to use your strength dynamically. 
Uh, and that's what power is being able, how quickly can you access your strength? It's a skill. Power is a skill. I mean, we all have different capacities, but this is being able to access your strength quickly and in a coordinated fashion is a skill. But let me just rewind this again. So yeah, we're hitting the side, we're hitting an open turn here, basically. Uh, you're extending the body, elbow your brother, call your mother, as, they, <laughs> as we all learned when we were younger. And being able to really engage uh, the obliques, uh, being able to have some shoulder mobility and extension in the arms. And that's how you want to go into a turn, <laughs> basically. My head isn't going really high up, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm, I'm rolling back, getting the elbow back and really extending into what would be a streamline. And I'm engaging my hips, I'm pushing off the wall. I mean, <laughs> that is what swimmers need to work on. No oh, doubt about it. And this is, yeah, and this is something that is swimmer, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> swimmer specific, but it is athletically focused. I like how you're keeping everything compact too, just like we would if we were going into the wall. We're staying nice and tight to our body. We're not getting too high. You have that hand sliding right by your ear uh, on the, the call your mother portion of it. And so I, I really like it. Now, how high are we supposed to get up as we press up there? All right, so in this, making sure that you're pressing away from the ground with your shoulder, you don't wanna sink into your body. You don't want your body to sink into your shoulder to cause unnecessary strain. But how high do we want those hips? As high as they can go, <laughs> because we're really working on some range of motion here. And, uh, and, and the higher you actually get your hips because we're, we're, we're fighting against gravity on land, um, being able to get your hips up is, only going to be able to, it, it only adds to your, your uh, strength and uh, range of motion. And that's another thing with being able to scale your exercises. Um, we want you to have, we don't want just an on and off switch when it comes to your strength, when it comes to your power. We want you to be able to have a dimmer switch, so to speak. Uh, it's not just on and off. Uh, when you're swimming a 200 free, when you're swimming a 400 meter freestyle, you have you have to have a dimmer switch. You just can't have an on and off switch. So being able to express your strength dynamically, being able to express your strength in a nuanced way, being able to just be strong from A to Z, not just from A to B, really uh, uh, shines through in these exercises. Tiba, talk to us about why it's important to just take a nice uh safe approach with your cadence here you're not trying to rush these movements at all as i watch this video it, it's really deliberate so talk to us about why it's important for athletes to take their time so many times as coaches we see our athletes in dry land just try to hammer things out um and oftentimes it, it's just uh you know reinforcing some bad habits and and physical literacy that we don't want so talk to us about why it's important to go at a nice even keeled pace here all right it is definitely about the quality of movement, not the quantity of movement. And the better you are at these basic skills, I, I tell every swimmer that I work with, the best swimmers in the world are the best at the basics. And the better you become at basic skills, the better your skills will, the better uh, athlete you will become. Is there's no way, I mean, that's, that's, there's no secret sauce. And uh, so being deliberate, being mindful, of your movements, it does a few things. For one, it um, makes you a more competent mover. <laughs> you have, you actually take the time to read your body's owner, owner manual, basically. Uh, but also it exposes any potential strength imbalances that may exist. So when you're going through things uh, in a slow, well, in a, in a methodical and very mindful approach, you will be aware of what's going on in your body, what's happening, what's not happening, what's firing, what's not firing, what's working, what's, what's stiff, and what's a little bit too loose. So being able to mindfully engage yourself uh, is a huge plus, and that really uh, keeps things safe because momentum can mask strength. Uh, and we don't want to mask any potential uh, strength imbalances or also we don't want to reinforce any bad habits through mat by masking it with movement. 
or momentum. So we want these movements to be mindful. We want them to be deliberate. And we really want you to make sure that you're really giving it 100% in terms of the quality of it. So uh, it's quality first, and then we'll worry about the, the quantity and capacity later of it. You know, the, the, so that's what keeps it safe. The other thing that I can appreciate about your movement here in this exercise in particular, the open turn side arch, there's a flexibility component here. Talk to us about flexibility. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, do you mean keep playing this or? We can, we can jump back to you. Okay. Cause I have to, I'm just, cause like the reason why I'm doing that, it's not on a loop. I just keep rewinding it back. <laughs> I gotcha. All right. Okay, so flexibility is important for swimmers because it makes you, it keeps you strong from A to Z. And that's a safety thing. It's not just for an aesthetic. It's not just for, you know, to see how far you can lift your leg above your head or whatever. We're not doing that. We wanna be able to use your strength dynamically from A to Z. And sometimes, and that's why, once again, that's why all your exercises have to be scalable. Some people are more strong than they are flexible. Some people are more flexible than they are strong. And when someone uses, tries to be strong uh, when they're reaching their, their nth degree of flexibility, <coughs> something snaps and, and vice versa. When someone is super strong and then they try to express their strength outside of that range of motion in which they're comfortable, <coughs> something happens. So we want to be able to uh, incorporate flexibility and strength based off of whatever it is that you need, because not everyone is the same. It's not cookie cutter. It's not a cookie cutter approach. That's why your exercises have to be safe and scalable because you have some swimmers that can, they have hyper flexible shoulders, but then you have swimmers that are just like super strong. <laughs> you know, so if they don't meet in the middle somewhere, or if they don't take the flex, the strength, if the flexible person doesn't, doesn't take that strength approach to balance themselves, and if that strength person doesn't take that flexibility aspect to strengthen, to, uh, to balance themselves, we're going to have a problem. So it's not just about uh, flexibility on its own uh, that makes a swimmer great because some swimmers are already super flexible. Uh, we need a balance of strength and flexibility. And that's what I'm, I'm, my intention is to infuse into these exercises. I know you're also very passionate about yoga and you practice yoga. How do you incorporate yoga into the dry land training that uh, a swimming athlete might need? Oh, yes. Like I said, uh, the swimming ecosystem is, un is vastly unexplored in terms of strength and conditioning and in terms of where we can go as a sport. And uh, we just don't have to import other ideas into what we're doing. Swimming is movement. Uh, there is a natural yogi <laughs> yoga uh, element into it. For example, when I was doing the dry fly push-ups, I started off in the locust pose, uh, being able to, so your arms are back and, uh, or sorry, lotus pose, locust, sorry. <laughs> so we're back there in, in that position. Guess what? You're finishing your fly and your back is slightly, you're pushing yourself forward, your, your legs are extended. That's butterfly, man. So. There are already things that exist that we can really amplify uh, as a community and amplify as an ecosystem on uh, in dryland. They are it's already there. We just, um, in my opinion, <laughs> in my opinion, um, have we have to distinguish and we have to really focus on being racehorses rather than workhorses. Uh, a workhorse will not be mindful of the movements. That they're that they're doing, you know, hence the term, you know, <laughs> use you like a rented mule <laughs> in that sense or whatever. Uh, you don't treat a racehorse the same way you treat you treat a workhorse. And you see these great swimmers, you know, they perform. They look like racehorses basically. Um, but you know, the whole let's grind it out type thing, you know, that why uh, there's there's no reason for swimmers to have these injuries. There's no reason for these swimmers to be uh, at the end of their sport when they retire or have to retire prematurely due to an injury. You know, we're not, we're not in the gym trying to crank it out every single day. We're not, uh, there's no reason <laughs> for that to happen if you have a mindful approach and a safe, scalable and sustainable approach to your dry land, there's no reason for it. So, so um, 
to get back to the yoga thing, being able to position, hold, breathe, uh, being able to, to be in union as the Sanskrit word yoga means uh, yoga or in, in union. Uh, so what are you in union with that uh, yoga allows you to explore that, uh, that whole process? Are you in you, you should be in union with your breathing when you're moving through the water. Uh, so you don't uh, activate the lizard, that lizard survival portion of your brain, <laughs> which gives you access to, um, uh, which gives you access to all of your cognitive capacity. You know, uh, I call it, I mean, we call butterfly, we call underwater fly kick the fifth stroke, but I call breathing the sixth sense because <laughs> it gives you access to all the other senses. You know, so I, that's why I consider breathing the sixth sense. And if you have, if you're in union with your breathing uh, while you are operating at a high level of speed and fatigue, that sit, having access to that sixth sense or being engaged with that sixth sense gives you access optimal at an optimal scale to all the rest of your senses because like just think about it when you're excited you're like or when you're depressed you're like you know but being able to stay centered in your breathing while you're moving uh that's something that's great for yoga from just you know that mind body connection portion but also just from a functionality portion how does it transfer? Uh, where is the overlap in swimming? That fl the flexibility, being able to engage your body with strength and flexibility and mindfulness, that, I mean, that's, it's a no brainer. You said something earlier that you just described. Earlier, you said you wanna be more in tune with your body's user manual. And I, yeah. and I thought to myself that that's a really interesting perspective. <clears throat> and while I thought it was a really interesting perspective, I didn't understand it then. I now have a much better idea of what you mean by reading your body's user manual. Talk to us, Atiba, a little bit about how you've learned to control your breathing and what are some breathing exercises that athletes and coaches can do with their teams? Hmm. Well, while you're doing yoga, for example, it's a way to really just shut it down a bit but also engage a bit, <laughs> you know, and that's what you need to do when you're actually swimming because you can't fight the water because every time you fight the water, the water will always win. So we want to be able to take that type of aspect that uh, being able to work in harmony and in with union uh, with the water, with yourself and yoga is a great way to do that. So I'm not uh, a breath control thing guide to say, hey, this is what you need to do in order to work on your breathing. But what you can do while you are practicing yoga, for example, is just to be mindful of your breathing. And instead of trying to control it, observe it. And that gives you that level of just letting go a bit. You know, uh, sometimes you don't, you don't always need to compete at a 10. Sometimes you need to bring it down to a nine or an eight in order to uh, release all of your potential, you know, getting out of your own way. And uh, sometimes just being an observer, just being a, like a, and keeping that ego or keeping your mind in uh, a custodial capacity rather than, you know, being engaged uh, allows you to take a step back and really allows you to really flow into what it is that you want to, that you want to accomplish. It's really important, I think, for our coaches and our athletes to understand that learning to do that and learning to just be mindful in those moments of exercise, whether it's at a high level of intensity or even if it's, you know, somewhere in the middle, it's such an important go-to skill. I lost them. I'm here. Oh, I got you. Oh, we're yeah, going yeah. to need to edit that out. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's such an important mindful skill um, when you might be in moments of anxiety and pre-race anxiety and things like that. So, you know, we're always talking to our athletes in those uh, about those moments where, you know, pre-meet or pre-race, their minds are running at a, a million miles an hour. So how, how do you talk to some of your fitness clients or what was your experience as an athlete? You know, you competed at a very high level at NCAAs. Uh, what were some of the tricks of the trade that you used? Well, that has been an evolving process for me because 
you have to consider without getting <laughs> into a protracted discussion discussion about er all this other stuff. Um, where you are, where I was at 23 is different than where I was at 43, where I am at 43, for example. So my priorities were different, perspective was different, what triggered me <laughs> was different. <laughs> but uh, in terms of yeah, what would I say in an, in terms of like an overarching overarching type of theme? The what would I share that would have maximum overlap? Would just um, at times you just need to be an observer, uh, because a lot of times we instead of we we react to our emotions, we react to uh, certain environmental uh, stressors and triggers, but. Uh, in that split second, when you are reacting or you are about to react, that's when uh, you should become an observer and, uh, and allow a part of yourself, allow that ego or allow that part of your conscious brain just to operate in a custodial capacity and just step back and be an observer. And a lot of times, like for example, if you, if you are doing dryland workouts or if you're doing yoga and particularly yoga, it gives you the opportunity while you are moving to just be an observer of your breathing. Because if you hit a pose, for example, and you find yourself <laughs> stressing or you find yourself just uh, not breathing, you need to take a moment and just be an observer of your breathing. Allow the breathing to just flow through any type of tension that you may be experiencing. Uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave that tension that you might be experiencing. And uh, just by being observer, uh, an observer and, and moving out of the way of yourself allows for that breathing to flow through. And then you practice that, you do that in practice, guess what? You're gonna do that at a meet. You know, you may see, you may be triggered by something in an environment, maybe another swimmer. And you're like, whoa, you, you may be uh, just watching how they're performing and then compare themselves to yourself. And I always tell my swimmers and, and everyone I work with, Comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> you really need to make sure that you are figuratively and literally staying in your own lane. <laughs> so, uh, and by removing your ego, uh, by really just, as I said, just observing your breathing gives you a chance to step back. And instead of reacting, it really gives you a chance to observe and then you can engage it less subjectively. I say less subjective instead of just being more objective because if you consider objectivity as absolute zero, you can't be more zero. So you can, but you can be less subjective. So uh, being less subjective and um, kind of um, mutes that that triggering mechanism that you may be experiencing whenever something in the, in the environment happens that engages your ego. Sure. No, I think that's incredibly insightful advice. Atiba, when you talk about coaches writing their own dryland program, and you, you and I have kind of laughed about this the last couple of weeks, as I've told you our experience, um, you're thinking safe, scalable, sustainable. But what are the three really important things that coaches could consider? If you had to choose three things outside of those, what do you want these coaches to consider when writing a dryland program? Well, I mean, you can't. Three things they're connected and they're all you they're all you can't have one without the other. So um, let me just say, if I were to just take one thing, it would just be mindfulness with your approach. Because guess what? If something, if it's not if you're doing something that's not sustainable, guess what? It's not safe. <laughs> and that's scalable then it's not sustainable <laughs> if you're, if, but i guess well let me just back that up uh, i guess the one thing will have to be safe because that's the most important thing because if it's not safe then you, it, it can't be you can't scale it if it's not safe it's not sustainable so safety has to be the main component after you after you start from there it has to be safe safety first as they say <laughs> so it has to be safe first and then you can build out and ask yourself the questions about how can i engage these athletes but that's what makes it challenging for coaches um as a head coach i can i'm sure that you find yourselves uh having coaching the last thing that you do <laughs> you know uh, just speaking with just speaking with coaches it's like man i have to write the, not only if you have to write the workout you have to make sure um meets are uh, you know if you're hosting meat that's another headache well not a headache but that's another thing you have to worry about maintenance 
pool maintenance, um, administrative things, the, you know, just the bones of the whole building that need to be supported in order for you just to do your job. And let's not talk about, you know, the other stuff that goes on, you know, interpersonal relationships between swimmers and group dynamics. You have to be at the helm of all that. And then it's like, okay, now is all that stuff done? All right, here's what we're doing today. As a, <laughs> you know, and your mind is already engaged in all those other factors. Like, I hope the hope that heater is working. You know, I hope the pool is, did I, did I turn off that pump or is this, you know? All those different things that are going on instead of just being able to focus on this highly nuanced uh, concept of uh, dryland work. Because if it's not safe and if it's not scalable, if it's not uh, sustainable, those are things that you really have to be mindful about when you're implementing a dryland program. And my heart goes out to, you know, I've been a coach, I've coached almost, almost everywhere, but um, and that's what I've observed. <laughs> you know, watching other great head coaches, I'm like, man, that is, that's, wow. <laughs> so yeah, safety first. If you have to take away one thing, safety first. You know, there's uh, a couple. <laughs> I kind of went off there, but you know, no, there's, a lot, there's, there's a lot there. That, no, that's great stuff. Um, a, a couple, you know, misnomers, I think, that a lot of people have with dryland. Um, you know, a lot of coaches like to have their athletes do some running. A lot of coaches don't like their athletes to do some running. Where do you fall on that running spectrum? <laughs> yeah, I'm not a proponent of necessarily saying, all right, let's go out there and run people. Um, a lot of things, I mean, swimmers are not notoriously known for our athletic prowess <laughs> and so many things can go wrong when we are vertical <laughs> in sure. terms of running itself i mean it's not like i said you have to be you have to be fit in order to run running does not necessarily make you fit um and once again safety first so if i have an athlete that does not have the structural uh capacity to just be able to pound, pound, pound. Because every time you take a step that's like three times your body weight on each leg, uh, if my running, if my form isn't great, and guess if my, if I'm a swimmer, my ankles are super, you know, if all that's happening, it's not really great. And also just uh, hip placement, for, uh, you know, males versus females, all this stuff, you know, it's not, if you don't have great form, it's not, you're really, you could potentially, you can, I'm not saying this is going to happen every single time. That's why I'm uh, just saying uh, um, that potentially you could really uh, hurt your athlete by asking them to run great distances. If you are not training for a triathlon and consequently, that's why Swimmers, whenever we uh, try, uh, try triathl triathlons, we do great because swimming, everyone will run every week, but not everyone swims well. And that's where we crush everyone. But oh, we also have the cardiovascular capacity to just like to crank it out, you know. But there's a little, just a little joke about triathletes. Um, how do you make a triathlete? How? The answer is you take a runner, you take a runner that got hurt and has a bike and wants to learn how to swim. <laughs> That's true. My but uh, that's I heard that joke. But anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in terms, there, there's so many other things that we can do as uh, as a community to improve our cardiovascular fitness outside of the pool. Uh, that's why I made these dryland programs. Um, there's different ways that you can lift that will challenge you in that way as well. I mean, we get enough of that stuff in the pool. I mean, swimming is is tough in terms of just the cardio output alone. So, but there are things that you can do to strengthen uh, yourself as as a swimmer that you can you can move in a way that is athletically focused and swimmer specific that really helps you uh, that, that you can like use cardiovascularly outside of the pool. And there are some other exercises that definitely have in my arsenal. <laughs> challenge that challenge that challenge swimmers to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to find out more about those, man. I I you know, you've got so many things that are so interesting to watch. How old before we start doing dryland with our athletes? Well, like it or not, we're already doing dryland as soon as you can walk. 
Uh, we talk about uh, like bone growth and all this other stuff. But when your kid is on the playground, jumping off of a four foot jungle gym and they're, and they're hitting the ground and then jumping up, that's plyometrics, <laughs> you know? So we're doing dryland from a very young age. The thing that gets lost is our ability to play as we get older because we're told that's not what's supposed to happen. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, you're doing Thailand from day one, you know, and you're scaling, you're, like I'm saying, it's, uh, your workouts have to be scalable. You're scaling yourself up from a crawl to a walk. I mean, this is, there's so much that goes into walking. And after that, you're, you're always doing dryland. But in terms of uh, what type of dryland, that's a different story. But when should you start doing dryland? You're doing dryland from day one, like it or not. So that's my answer to that. Well, I think it's important for coaches to understand that aspect of play when they develop their dry land. You know, we, this year for the first time, I was encouraging our coaches to let the kids play Frisbee, let the kids, uh, you know, play water polo in the diving well, uh, not the older groups, but the younger kids for sure. And I, and I think it was a really good exercise for them. You know, discovery through play, I think is so important. Yes, and being able to really explore power output. I mean, you know, uh, the ability to accelerate, you know, whether it be how hard can you throw a med ball, how high can you jump, you know, how quickly can you do this movement or that movement, being able to uh, uh, work on acceleration is huge. Also, being able to work on uh, proprioception, being able to balance, that is huge for kids. Um, I grew up doing gymnastics swimming. So if I, if, if someone said, Hey, what two sports should kids learn? I would say swimming and gymnastics <laughs> because they're similar. You know, when you have to, when you're, when you're, uh, horizontal and your flow of the water, so different, you have to have a level of awareness. Your body is in a totally different, it's literally in a different element. So <laughs> yeah, you're in a different element. But with, in terms of gymnastics, it's so great because you have that, you, you really learn, you really, like I said, the, that owner's manual, you really get access to that. Uh, being able to operate while inverted, being able to operate and function still at a high level when you're flipping, being able to access your core horizontally while uh, dealing with the forces of gravity. I mean, gymnasts are phenomenal athletes. Well, uh, they have, there's a phenomenal athletic component to that. So being able to uh, like get your kids, uh, being able to get your kid into a gymnastics class as a swimmer, that's something that I'm, I'm happy that my gymnastics at a young age, because it's something that literally I've taken throughout my whole life. Like, you know, I haven't done gymnastics since I was like eight or nine, but I could still pop out backflips and all this other stuff. But um, yeah, I feel very comfortable in whatever space I'm in because I, I got the best of worlds in that sense. Uh, I've seen a lot of Coleroy uh, <clears throat> uh, to gym, great gymnasts um, <clears throat> correlation to to turning out to be great swimmers. There, there's a lot of that in our sport and we see it all the time. Um, the other question that I wanted to ask you in, in terms of dry land, sprinters, middle distance, distance swimmers, should any group be doing more? I mean, I know we're trying to decategorize our training this day and age, but, but what's your approach to that? And it depends on the athlete. Uh, you have some swimmers that are <laughs> like just naturally muscular. You have some sprinters that just have great feel, man. I mean, they're long, they're lanky, and they just have great feel for the water. And you don't want to necessarily uh, burden them, <laughs> burden that natural flow with saying, all right, now do this. You got to get there. You know, so who needs more? Who needs less? It's definitely, uh, well, it's my, in my opinion, it is uh, situational. Uh, but as long and it, it, I sound like a broken record, seriously. But as long as you, the exercises you're doing are safe, scalable, and sustainable, you can't go wrong. You have to think about also the intention of what the athlete needs. Uh, you may have a distance swimmer that is super flexible, and they need to get some strength. 
the uh, what you would have them do would be different than, hey, this fast twitch, uh, super strong sprinter who is like six feet tall at age 12, <laughs> you know, it's going to be different, than, you know, all that other stuff, you know, so you really have to just, as a coach, that's the art and the science of coaching. You have to make that, uh, you have to make that call and you have to tailor that to the swimmer. I love it, Atiba. I'm, I'm ready to do quick fire with Atiba Wade if you're ready. All right. <laughs> All right, it should be interesting. <clears throat> Here we go. More intimidating on the pool deck, Jim Ellis or Jack Bowerly? Jim Ellis. A <laughs> <laughs> hundred times in a row, right? <clears throat> All right. Yeah, and the only reason I say that is because I, that was, uh, I just growing up, I grew up in that program and, you know, uh, Jim was like a parent, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid and you see your parents, you know, it, it, it's, it's in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack is intense on the pool deck and he is super passionate. So, and I, I met Jack at a different stage in life. So that's why I say that. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Okay. <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, the early to mid nineties, you probably just did 10,000 with Jim in a practice. He says to you and Michael Norman, all right, boys, we're getting up on yep. the blocks. 50 breaststroke. Now, the 50 breaststroke might be a little bit more in your wheelhouse than his. Who's winning that? Or did this actually happen? Mike. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, let me just tell you, uh, Jim would have this thing where we would just get up and sprint. It's, it's not even a get out swim. <laughs> That's the thing. Jim never did get out swim. We are like, you know, and I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, he never, he never did get out swims. It's like, all right, we did the work we had to do. Now it's go time. You got to step up, dig deep and perform, you know? And uh, if it was, it, sometimes we do it. You never knew how many times you'd be doing this race, but you did. The only time you did know is when he would say one time for a dime. So <laughs> that's what he'd say. <laughs> yeah, Jim would always say that one time time for a dime yeah one time for it and mike norman would smoke me 10 times out of 10 <laughs> how good uh, when i clip this up i'm gonna send that to him um real quick men's 50 <laughs> men's 50 freestyle in tokyo does it take does it have to take a sub 20 second performance to win the gold medal no that's kind of where everybody's leaning right now. All right. And we all know who this athlete is. Pretty straightforward, is. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we all know who we're talking about here, but does the women's 800 freestyle, does, does the world record go down and is it sub eight minutes? Ooh, man. Oh man, all hail the queen, Kayla Decky, man. We have to just decide on, hey, what, uh, what she's had for breakfast that morning, <laughs> you know, because if she's ready to go, man, all hail the Tony Betis from- uh, She can do whatever she wants to do in the water. Yeah, Tony Betis from Palo Alto said, he had the best answer. He said, I think if she's getting pushed early on in the race, then you're gonna see her go way under eight minutes. Good. <laughs> going to be fun to watch either way. Hey, well, hey, you can't argue with that. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. All right, Atiba, this is where you and I shamelessly plug what we've been working on for the last six months, and that's our strength and athleticism classes. You're going to do a couple for us. We're going to have a month-long class and a two-month-long class, and it's going to be specifically tailored for swimmers ages 10 to 12 and 13 and over. So give us your pitch for why this is a, a great opportunity for athletes, especially many swimmers across the country who don't have a pool to swim in. Okay. Well, any opportunity that you can uh, take advantage of that will make you a better swimmer, you should do it. Simple. Um, we're gonna be covering some basic skills. The ba and I just keep saying this, the best swimmers in the world are the best at the basics. And there, there's some things that we overlook as swimmers. And we're, we're gonna make sure that we expose you to different types of movement, different types of strength, mobility, and conditioning work that is highly transferable for your swimming performance. 
in a way that is safe, a way that is scalable, in a way that is sustainable. And um, beyond that, <laughs> I'm going to just tell you to sign up, and I can tell you confidently that you that you can walk away a better swimmer than you did when you walked in. I'm so excited for it, man. I, I can't wait to, to get all of the people who take your course. I can't wait to hear their feedback because I know they're going to be thrilled. We're really proud of the work that we put into it. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful, Atiba, that you joined me today. It's been so great to get to know you and, and spend a lot of time together over the past couple months virtually. Uh, but I know uh, I know our paths will cross. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested? <laughs> If they're interested in, in bringing you in for a fitter and faster clinic, or if a coach has a question, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, social media is always great, but uh, since I'm working with uh, my company's working with fitter and faster, um, you can feel free to reach out to fitter and faster. They'll reach out to me, but feel free to look me up, look me up online, uh, not just at Atiba Weight, but also uh, my own strength conditioning thing that I work on h to go fitness um, like that subscribe all that different types of stuff but yes if you want to get in contact into a clinic uh, contact fitter and faster and we'll take care of you with, not just with swimming we could also do the dry land component uh, whatever it is that you need well Atiba we really appreciate your time uh, I, I have really enjoyed getting to know you and I know that together we're going to do some great things with this class so Thank you so much for being on Coach's Corner today. This episode will be available for all of our fans on our Fitter and Faster site under the webcast tab, Coach's Corner. You can always check it out on our YouTube channel. Also, please click subscribe. And Atiba, thanks so much. Look forward to talking with you soon. And listen, man, you have a happy holiday. You do the same, Mike. And thanks for having me. Can't wait to talk soon, guys. All right, we'll check... Uh, out of Tiba, it's going to drop on Wednesday. Take care of Tiba.